Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 8. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 8. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? If Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? The subject of this passage is the rest which God desires to grant to those who have faith in Jesus Christ. The rest which is entering into God's kingdom. The rest which is having one's sins forgiven. The rest which is receiving the gift of salvation and eternal life. Now, Jesus here in this verse 8 means Joshua. That's the reference to the Old Testament Joshua who led the people into the promised land. Jesus is simply uh, the Greek form of Joshua, which is a Hebrew word. So we are thinking of the uh, Old Testament Joshua. Uh, So if Joshua had given them rest, then would he, and that's David who's being referred to there, then would David not afterward have spoken of another day? You see, in Psalm 95, um, David speaks of a future day of rest for Israel. Now, they are already in the land, but David speaks of another day. You see... Joshua did not give the people their true rest when he led the conquest of Canaan. There remains another rest still to be sought after. It is the rest which possession of the Old Testament land prefigured namely entrance into the kingdom of God. Now in this epistle, it it is Jewish people, Israelites, who are being addressed. And it is being explained to them that possession of the land is not the ultimate rest which they should be seeking. And so, if Joshua had given them rest, then would he, David, not afterward have spoken of another day? So the rest being referred to here is the rest which could only be reached by turning from sin and believing in Christ. The true rest then, which the people of Israel should be looking for the true place of security and safety from their enemies, was not obtained on the day when Joshua led the Israelites across the River Jordan. 
Centuries after Joshua's time, King David, in Psalm 95, spoke of another day on which the people of Israel would need to enter into God's rest. And so the people of David's day still needed to enter into God's rest, even though they were enjoying possession of the land right then. So the rest which David said that the people must enter into in his day cannot be the physical land. The next verse says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. The rest which is being referred to is a spiritual rest. A rest with much greater significance than living safely in Canaan. The rest which God intends for his people transcends the earthly and the temporal and reaches out to the eternal. It is the spiritual rest that is brought about by the gospel. So, where did Old Testament Israel's true rest, true security lie? Was it in the land? No. It was in this spiritual rest which the land foreshadowed. This is the epistle to the Hebrews. And so that's the specific context. Where should these Jewish people in New Testament times be looking for their rest? Hebrews is being written shortly before the destruction of Jerusalem. Shortly before Israel would completely lose its land. Joshua did not give Israel, it's true rest when he led the conquest of the promised land. Because we are told there remains another rest which the people still had to seek after in David's day and is still to be sought now when the epistle to the Hebrews is being written. And which must still be sought in every generation. This rest is the forgiveness of sins. Peace with God and eternal salvation. And so living in the physical land is not entering into God's rest. The true spiritual rest is being redeemed 
from slavery to sin. This rest can only be reached by repentance from sin and by believing in Jesus Christ. And only those who do that are the true people of God. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Verse 9. These Hebrew Christians are wavering under severe persecution. They are considering going back to Judaism to escape the persecution. And so they are being told here, do not think that possession of the land is the only rest which belongs to the people of God. Do not think that the temple and its ceremonies constitute the desired and ultimate rest. The temple and indeed the whole country will in fact, within just a very few years, be utterly obliterated by the destructive power of the Roman armies. However, there is for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ the more enduring rest of having become sons of God and of having entered into Christ's spiritual kingdom. There remains to the people of God the rest which is sins forgiven and communion with their maker. That rest is enjoyed through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the message which the Hebrew believers need urgently to hear as they consider abandoning the faith of Christ and going back to Judaism. This is the rest, this spiritual rest, the rest which God has been desiring to give to men ever since the creation. As verses 3 and 4 of this chapter affirm. So this rest is not the mere temporal blessing of possessing a secure land. The rest of salvation is what these Hebrew Christians risk forfeiting if they now shrink back to a Christless Judaism. The gospel is calling them into God's spiritual rest. And this applies to all people, whoever they are, anywhere in the world, all need to enter into this spiritual rest. But the specific context here is the people of Israel. And our Lord, during his earthly ministry, said to those people in Matthew 11, verse 28, Matthew 11, verse 28, 
Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. That is the rest which people must focus upon. The Lord, of course, is not only calling his own countrymen, the Jews, into this rest, he's calling all nations into this rest. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Um, Now, we would notice in the margins of our authorised version Bibles that The Greek word translated rest here is actually a different one to that translated rest in verses 1, 3, 4, 5 and 8 in this chapter. The word used here for rest is literally Sabbath keeping. There remaineth therefore a Sabbath keeping. To the people of God. Now, yes, of course, Sabbath keeping means rest, like the other instances already in this chapter. But the particular emphasis here in verse 9 is on the rest associated with the Sabbath day and with the act of keeping that rest. The Sabbath day symbolizes enjoying communion with God, following his mighty work of creating us. The author to the Hebrews is actually referring back to verse 4 of this chapter, uh, here in verse 9. Verse 4 reads, he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this Wise And God did rest on the seventh day from all his works. That was when the Sabbath was first instituted. When God ceased his six days of work creating the universe, the earth, and finally man, He called the men whom he had created into fellowship with himself. The weekly Sabbath, since the beginning of time, has been all about people enjoying communion with their creator. But since all are sinners, this communion is only possible if they are redeemed and saved from their sins. Therefore, Sabbath keeping has always represented the rest which is salvation in Christ and restored fellowship with God. So this verse 9 is saying, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. There remaineth a Sabbath keeping to the people of God. 
Now, Sabbath keeping carried on throughout the Old Testament period, long after Joshua's time. And that it now carries on in the New Testament period is the implication here. These believers are being told that there is Sabbath keeping under the new covenant. There is a new covenant Sabbath day. Implying that the Sabbath has not been abolished with the coming of Christ. The principle of observing the Sabbath day continues under the new covenant. This is the day on which believers focus more closely on the rest which has been provided for them by the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of salvation. Since the creation, God has called men into communion with himself. He has called men into this rest of being in communion with him. And so this rest that the people of God are meant to enjoy was never merely the occupation of the land of Canaan. The true rest is the rest of which David speaks in Psalm 95, which has been referred to in this chapter in verses 3, 5, 7 and 8. These Hebrew believers are being told here that merely following the paths of Judaism of Old Testament religion without faith in Christ will not give them the rest of which David spoke in Psalm 95. Following the laws of Moses did not give Israel the promised rest. This can only be entered through the work of Jesus Christ. Simply being a son of Abraham according to the flesh will not cause these Hebrews to enter into this rest. So they are being told here, there remaineth a rest to the people of God. There remains a rest which non-believers in David's day did not possess. Even though they lived in the land. The land is not the promised rest. The rest is what comes from believing the gospel. For the Lord Jesus Christ said, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the Israelites did not gain this rest in the days of Moses, of Joshua, of David, or any other time during the Old Testament period. They looked forward to it, the true believers, amongst them. With the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
both Jew and Gentile may enter into the rest of sins forgiven and salvation received. So remember, this epistle is being written to persecuted Hebrew Christians who are wavering and seriously considering going back to a Christless Judaism. They are being told that there is a more spiritual and excellent Sabbath rest remaining for the people of God than that into which Joshua once led the people. You see, a Christless Judaism was all focused on the land and the temple. But there remaineth a rest to the true people of God. The rest of grace, comfort, holiness. This is the rest where the Lord Jesus Christ, the true Joshua, causes weary souls and awakened consciences to rest and enjoy refreshing. The rest which the persecuted Hebrew Christians must endeavour to enter into is the rest which is salvation through faith in Christ. But at the moment, they are in danger of falling away. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Now we can see from verse 2 of this chapter that the rest spoken of here is entered into by faith and not by death. So when we talk of the rest which Christians enjoy, we're not simply thinking of the eternal state. That will be the climax of it. But this rest being spoken of here is to be enjoyed here and now for all believers. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Note in verse 3 of this chapter it reads, We which have believed do enter into rest. We which have believed do enter into rest. This is a present experience. Yes, heaven, of course, is the ultimate goal and prize of believing the gospel. But the purpose here is to emphasize the superiority of Jesus Christ over Moses. To set out the excellency of the gospel. To set out the glory of the state which Jesus now calls us into, the true Joshua. This state which he calls us into is above all the privileges and advantages which the people of old 
enjoyed under Moses. This state, this new condition, this rest is infinitely superior to what Israel enjoyed under the old covenant simply by means of possessing the land. Because the rest being referred to here is the rest which Jesus Christ promises to those who believe in him. And it's a spiritual rest leading to an eternal rest. Joshua led the nation of Israel into the land of their promised rest. But it was merely the earthly rest which was only the shadow of what was involved in the spiritual rest and the heavenly rest. So the rest which Moses and Joshua promised to Israel is not the ultimate rest which Israel must aspire to. The gospel of salvation is the rest which they must seek. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And then verse 10 says, For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Now, the key to understanding this is to establish who exactly is being referred to. To remember the context of the whole passage. The context is entering into the spiritual kingdom of God through faith in Christ. This kingdom is the rest which God calls men into. Whilst, of course, becoming a believer in Christ will lead on to heavenly glory. Heaven and the future state are not the focus here. The subject is rather the rest which the gospel brings the believer now. The person being referred to in this verse 10 is the one who brings the gospel rest into being through his redemptive work, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. A single person is being spoken of in this verse 10. Not many people, as in verse 3, where our author says, we which have believed do enter into rest. Here in verse 10, however, the reference is not to all believers, but to a single individual. The rest entered into is his own rest. It is speaking of Christ. Believers do not enter into their own rest, but into the rest which God's work has created for them. So, we enter into the rest which Christ's work of redemption has created for us. 
the Lord Jesus Christ has entered into his own rest and he calls others to come in to the rest which he has created. Where is the Lord Jesus Christ right now? He is in his own rest. By suffering, dying and rising again, he completed the work which his father gave him to do. He has entered into his own rest, having ceased from that work of the new creation, which is redemption. From his heavenly throne, he now calls upon men to repent of sin and trust in him, so as to enter into his rest. So this verse 10 is drawing a parallel between God the Father ceasing from his creative work at the beginning of time and entering into rest when he saw that everything he had made was very good and the Lord Jesus Christ ceasing from his work of redemption and passing into his rest. He saw that his work was good and complete. He said on the cross, just before he expired his last breath, it is finished. The work was complete and perfect. And he's opened up this rest. He enters into his own rest and calls others to come into it as well. From his heavenly throne, the Lord Jesus Christ calls on non-believers to enter into his rest. To be forgiven for all their sins and share, become partakers of his great salvation. Now this is the rest which God's true people enjoy even in this life. It's a spiritual rest. And every hopeless sinner today may enter into this rest. Because Christ has done his work. He has opened up the way. He has suffered in the sinner's place. He has now ceased from his work and has entered into his rest just as his father carried out the works of creating the universe and then ceased from them to enter into his rest so the Old Testament Sabbath on which God rested from his work when the world was created and the New Testament Sabbath on which Christ rose from the dead, are parallels. The work is finished. All is complete. So when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, here was the completion of the work of salvation. The Lord looked at his work, saw that it was good, 
and entered into his rest. And therefore, how appropriate it is that under the new covenant, the day of rest, the weekly Sabbath observance, is the day of resurrection. Any non-Christian, upon turning from sin and believing in Christ, can enter into this rest of sins forgiven, peace with God, and the certain prospect of eternal life. This is the rest which Jesus Christ has brought into being by his work on the cross and his resurrection. It's his rest. He has now ceased and rested from his work. He sees that it is a perfect work. Which is why, as we said, he declared just before his death on the cross, it is finished. So it is his work of accomplishing salvation, which is the subject of this verse 10 here. His work is complete and he now calls into his rest, into the benefits of what his work has accomplished. He calls all people into this rest. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And so this is what the gospel is doing. It's calling men to come and enjoy this spiritual rest. Sins forgiven, peace with God and everlasting life. Now, these Hebrew Christians were sorely tempted to abandon faith in Jesus Christ and go back to Judaism. So they are told in verse 11 here, let us labour therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. These Hebrews, these Jewish Believers are under great pressure from their fellow Jews to renounce faith in Jesus Christ. And so they are being warned that they are in danger of coming short of their gospel rest. They are being warned that if they return to a Christless Judaism, they cannot be saved. Now to embrace the Christian gospel, to follow Jesus Christ is the most significant action that any human being can ever carry out. There is nothing so significant as believing in Jesus Christ and entering into his rest. If these Hebrews renounce Jesus Christ, they will be like the Israelites who fell in the wilderness and who never reached the land. So near, yet so far. They must not make the same tragic mistake. 
They must labour to enter into the gospel rest which the Lord Jesus has worked to provide for them. Now to enter into this rest is hard and costly. Whoever one is, it's not easy to be a Christian. We have to labour to enter into the rest. The word labour means urgency. To endeavour earnestly, to strive, to be bent upon doing something. This is the terminology of Christian conversion. You have to put effort into becoming a Christian. It's the most serious thing one could ever do. It's not something light-hearted and casual. Let us labour to enter into that rest. Strain every sinew to examine your heart and see the need to come to Jesus Christ. Because there is nothing more important in your whole life than coming to Jesus Christ. Let us labour therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Think of all those Israelites who fell in the wilderness and never reached the promised land. And so every non-Christian today, everyone who thinks Christianity does not concern them, they're getting on with life, they've got better things to do, they are being told, labour to enter into the rest which Jesus Christ offers you, which he has provided for you. But to do so will involve opposition. To do so will involve opposition from friends, from the system in which we live, from the general tenor of our society. It will mean being totally different. Coming to Jesus Christ is not some casual lifestyle choice. Oh, I'll go on holiday to Spain or I'll join the tennis club. Oh, there is nothing more earth-shattering and eternally significant than becoming a Christian. Labour to enter into that rest. Strive to enter into that rest. Do not rest until you find the rest. Make your peace with God because there is nothing more important. Labour to enter into that rest. Our Lord warned potential disciples in Luke 14 and verse 27. Luke 14 verse 27. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he have laid the foundation and is not able to finish it. And then Luke 14 verse 33. Whosoever he be of you, 
that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So becoming a Christian means leaving behind everything we have cherished. It means putting Christ first. It means not having anything to do with anything that hinders us coming to Christ. There is nothing in this world which is worth pursuing at the expense of coming to Jesus Christ. Nothing. You can't think of any pursuit, activity, employment, pleasure that is worth rejecting Jesus Christ for. And if anyone thinks that there are things in life which are worth rejecting Jesus Christ for, they will spend all eternity and hell regretting their decision. Let us labour, therefore, to enter into that rest. These wavering Hebrews must count the cost of following Jesus Christ. It is all or nothing. Christ or this world. A world which rejects him. Let us labour therefore to enter into that rest. It is the gospel rest that's being spoken of. Which believers enter into as soon as they believe. So this rest is readily available right now for anyone who will come. The rest of peace and joy and the knowledge of sins forgiven. So men have to labour to enter into this rest by prayer, by hearing the word of God, by going to a place where the word of God is taught. It's not just going to happen. If someone wants to become a Christian, they have to labour to enter into that rest. Oh, I'm just waiting till God speaks to me. No, labour to enter into that rest. All non-believers today who are thinking about the Christian faith must understand it means separation from the world. Following Christ will mean the world's Opposition and persecution. To follow Christ means renouncing all sin, not just some sin. And it means rejecting the world's way of thinking. On the day of judgment, no one will be able to say in their defence, I was a cool, trendy, fashionable person. We need to labour into that rest. Labour to enter into the gospel rest, which is salvation in Jesus Christ.
And so the non-Christian must strain every sinew to come to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the only one who can give you rest from your sins. Amen.